Thank you so much for joining us this morning. For those of you who are new, uh, thank you for coming in and checking us out. Hopefully you'll find a, a church home here uh, this morning. And for those of you turning in, tuning in also online, thank you for joining us. So like Pastor Drew said, this, is, uh, this, this week concludes our uh, strategic series called What uh, Jesus Said What? Right? And every time I think about that, do you say it like Jesus said what? Or is it like the minions say it, Jesus said what? <laughs> I kind of prefer that way better, right? So when we read stories about Jesus teaching people, we know that when he teaches, he has a lot of authority. He, he teaches with a lot of compassion. And, and a lot of what he teaches makes, a lot, makes sense. Right? He teaches through parables, a lot of things that we can apply to in our lives. Also, just back then when he was teaching, is things that apply to their lives as well. But sometimes what, what Jesus says can be to the extreme, Right, where, where it just seems like, wow, man, that's a little bit far out there, Jesus. You know, what, what, do, you, what do you really mean when, when you say that? Right? So did, did, did Jesus mean what he said when he said that? You know, there used to be this, uh, this show back in the, the late 70s, early 80s called Different Strokes. I don't know if you guys remember that. I may be dating myself, but um, it's a really good show. Uh, what that show was about was there were uh, these two African-American kids from Harlem, and uh, they were taken in by this wealthy uh, Caucasian family that, uh, th- that when her, their mother passed away, I guess, suddenly, and so they took them in. Just this rich family named the Drummonds. And there was these two boys. One boy was Willis, and then the younger brother, Arnold. And, and Arnold was played by uh, an actor call, uh, named uh, Gary Coleman. And uh, whenever Willis would say something that was just kind of far out there, a little challenging, Arnold would say, what you talk about, Willis? You know, he'd just pout, sometimes look, you know, this way, cross-eyed. And, and he would just say that whenever Willis would say something kind of ridiculous, right? And this was kind of Arnold's stick in this, in this show, and it was really funny, because every time he said it, the, they'd cue the laughter, right, in, in the sitcom. And, and so let me, let me just kind of put an example here out to you of, of, of what we're reading here today. So in Matthew chapter 15, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and verse 3 says, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and or mother must surely die. Then he says later on in Luke chapter 18, uh, this is Jesus talking to the rich young ruler who asked about, Hey, Jesus, how do I inherit uh, eternal life? And Jesus says this, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. So Jesus is emphasizing here, honor your father and mother. He says, hey, these are some commandments here. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. That's, that's pretty important, I would say, right? But then Jesus throws this bomb. And if we read in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What you talk about, Jesus? <laughs> so except for that last part there, I just said, uh, this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> right, let's pray together. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for today and just another day of life that we just come before you to, to know who you are more to understand the things that you're teaching us in your word. We just thank you so much for the salvation that you offer us. And I just ask this morning, just open our hearts to the truths that you want to share. 
I just thank you again for the opportunity that we come before, uh, together here before you to honor your name and to glorify you. We thank you again for uh, you and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the 2021 NFL season is upon us. Right? We just had the draft uh, just a few weeks ago. And I think this is the time when if you're an NFL fan, you're getting pretty excited about maybe what your team can do this season. Right? You know, there's a lot of hope when the season's about to start. There's a lot of hope that the Broncos are going to bear down and kill the Chiefs, right, the next game, <laughs> right, and own them this year. This is what we're praying for, and it, I, I believe God wants that as well. So, <laughs> amen. Um, so the most recent news is that Aaron Rodgers, who is the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, does not want to come back to the team. I guess they had some issues there that he just says, you know, I'm done with you guys. I don't want to come back. He's even telling his teammates, hey, don't expect me to be back here on this team. Right? But, you know, the interesting thing is enter the Broncos here. Apparently the Broncos are on the short list of teams that Aaron Rodgers wants to play for. Like, what? Us? Little old us? Right? You just imagine that. What if Aaron Rodgers was playing for the Broncos, right? All the Broncos country would be, like, much rejoicing here. I think, right? And then the Chiefs definitely would be shriveling and losing every single game against us, right? So, <laughs> but this is interesting, though. So the one thing that we don't know about Aaron Rodgers is that he actually has this feud in his family. So he, he has this pretty public uh, feud against his family here where apparently when he was engaged to an actress a couple years ago, his family told him, you know, we don't trust her. We don't like her. She is not right for you. And so Aaron Rodgers said, you know what? I'm going to choose you or choose her over you. And that's what he did. And so he's been estranged from his family ever since. So enter today. He's got a younger brother named Jordan who was on The Bachelorette. And, and apparently he was the winner, right? He, he got the last rose and gets to marry this girl. And so what happens is, is they're planning this wedding and, and Aaron Rodgers now is also engaged to another actress, and they're playing their wedding as well. And apparently, this, this, at this moment, Aaron Rodgers has not invited any of his family members to his wedding. And you think that here's a big deal coming up in your life, that you're going to get married, same with his brother, and yet they can't put, set aside their differences and invite each other to their weddings. It's a big event, life-changing event. Yet they have this family feud that, that is going on. And, and you wonder, is this what Jesus is talking about here? Is he talking about feuds with your family? You know, what was Jesus really talking about here? It seemed pretty extreme to tell people to hate their mother and father. Uh, you know, and, and you think about just last week, we celebrated Mother's Day, right? So what gives, Jesus? What are you talking about? You know, you're telling us to hate our mother and father, yet there's other areas here that you said love and honor your father and mother. And, it, and it's just interesting because if you, when you hear about atheists or unbelievers of Jesus, when they read this kind of thing, they'll say, oh, see, I told you, the Bible contradicts itself. And this is proof. Right? Even Jesus, is, 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 he's contradicting himself. And, and so I feel, personally, I feel like I know the meaning of words. 
Uh, but I have to look up online sometimes just to verify. Right? Hey, what does hatred really mean? So I looked it up. So good old Wikipedia tells me that hatred means an angry or resentful emotional response to certain people or ideas. Hatred is often associated with feelings of anger, disgust, and a disposition towards the source of hostility. The verb of it is feel intense or dis, uh, passionate dislike for someone. The noun is intense or passionate dislike. When you think about your, your parents or you think about any loved one, your, your wife, your kids, husband, uh, brothers, sisters, do you feel an intense or a passionate uh, hate for them or dislike of them? Well, maybe if you're a teenager, you probably have some passionate dislike for your parents, right, at this age. But what about your wife? What about your, your, your husband? What about your children? Do you feel that, that hatred, that intense passion of, of dislike? And maybe brothers and sisters, what about them? Well, I guess maybe, you know, you know we have to love them because our parents tell us we have to, right? But, uh, but maybe you know, we have issues. And I can understand that, that maybe some of us that are out there do have a legitimate hate for our parents or loved ones. And maybe we were abandoned as a child by our parents, Maybe we we're treated horribly by our parents. And so we, hate, we, we have this passionate dislike, you know, a hatred for them because of that. But when we put all the things together this morning, let's just really just look at what about the people, the loved ones that you have in your life right now? Let's, let's use that, right? We, have to, we all have to have loved ones here, right? And so let's use that. Whoever it might be, do you have a passionate dislike for your loved ones? Imagine if Jesus was teaching this today. I, I, he'd probably get a lot of emails from people saying, hey, what are you talking about? I, don't, I disagree, right? Jesus takes the most intimate of personal human relationships and says that you have to be willing to hate them, right? Father, mother, wife, husband, children, brothers, sisters. It just seems unimaginable that he's asking us to do this, right? But I believe what Jesus is trying to emphasize is this. Am I the most important person in your life? Think about that. Am I, Jesus, the most important person in your life? So as we study this, this passage of Scripture this morning, there's, there's a few things you want to consider. You've got to consider the audience that he's teaching to, right? the people that, that were there listening to, to Jesus teach. And, and then consider the context of, of what he's talking about here. Yeah, we, we read one, one part of the Scripture that talks about hitting your, your family, pretty much, uh, before you can be a disciple of me. But there's more to it than that. And then consider the ultimate message, or really, what is the heart of the matter that Jesus is coming to here? Right, so let's go back to, to Luke chapter 14, and let's read verse 25 and 26. It says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So at the very beginning of, of this section of scripture, Jesus was accompanied by great crowds. So I don't know where this crowd came from. I don't know who, uh, you know, who, what, how this crowd was built up. I don't know how, how they, were, they all came together. But there had to be a lot of people of, of different, um, uh, from different places. 
right, that may have heard Jesus here and there and wanted to see. And so there's probably some, some casual listeners that were there, maybe some thrill seekers. Maybe there's some people there that wanted to see some kind of spectacle, right, like maybe a magic show. I mean, they heard that Jesus has performed miracles, so maybe they're there because they want to see him perform some miracles. Then there's some people who are just kind of walking around, just happened to be there when Jesus showed up, right? Maybe just, hey, you know, I'm not doing anything else. Let me just listen to see and hear what he has to say. And then there's also these people who I have to think they're in the crowd who heard Jesus teach before and considered themselves uh, people who, who uh, committed to Jesus as, as their teacher, as, being, as him being their teacher. Right? So they heard about him. They know about him. They want to follow him. And so here's the opportunity to hear him face to, uh, in person. So when Jesus says to this great crowd, if anyone uh, can, comes to me, and does not hate his father and mother, his family, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And he was attempting to, to cause a stir really within themselves, right? Because you, you think about, well, you just told us that, that we have to honor our father and mother, yet now you're telling us to hate. So he's like, wow, what does that mean? You know, he, he's causing them to, to, to really think deep and, and look into their own hearts like, well, what does this really mean? Jesus wants us to ask ourselves where we are in our relationship with him. There's a movie, uh, Star Trek, and, and this is the, the, the 2009 version, not the 1970s version or whatever, right? So in that movie, Star Trek, you, you, we, we, there's a scene where we're in uh, Vulcan College or something or, or some, some place where all the students are hanging out, right, school, and, and there's all these pits Right, where all these Vulcan students are, are in, and each student is in a pit. And in that pit, there's, there's all these questions being asked about like chaos theory, you know, what's the average velocity of unladen swallow, you know, things like that, right? Asking all these questions, and, and all these students are as, answering these questions, right? It's, it's, it's like an SAT, but worse. And, and so they, they focus in on Spock, and he's answering all his questions, right, and everything. And, and at the end of this, this test, he gets out of the pit, and there's these three other Vulcan students that are coming up to him. And apparently, they've been bullying him before. And right, so when, he appro- when they approach him, he says, I presume you've prepared new insults for today. And, and, and the bullies say, affirmative. And then Spock says this, this is your 35th attempt to elicit an emotional response from me. I think this is what Jesus is really doing with this crowd. He's trying to elicit an emotional response by asking or telling them this sort of thing. Hate your your family in order to follow me. You know, what does that mean? You know, it's almost like he started this this teaching to kind of, well, you know, wake them up because he has a lot more to say after that. Now, if you were in the audience and you heard this from Jesus, what would you think? If we continue on in Luke 14, 27 to 32, his, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And he says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. 
Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus, when he first kicks this off, he says, hate your family. But when you really dig, dig down deep in what he's teaching, he provides more of the context to, to what he meant by that. And in verse 28, he actually spells out, he says, first sit down and count the cost. He talks about building a tower, and if we're not ready, if we don't consider the cost of this, how much time it might be, we're going to have a half-built tower and be the laughing stock of the village. Right? They'll see it every day. Oh, look at that. There's that tower that never got finished. Oh, you know who did that? Oh, yeah, Ron Bansell did. What a fool. He didn't count the cost. Right? And then there's this king, too, who is he, he's planning this war. And he has 10,000 soldiers, and this other guy has 20,000 soldiers. That a, what are the odds of, of you winning from that? You know, is he prepared? Is he really committed to go up against this guy? Or maybe he'll go off and, and, and make some peace with this person. So when it comes to the gospel of salvation, the one thing we have to remember here is that following Jesus requires you to count the cost. In Mark 10, there's this rich young man, and Jesus says to him, with, with love, that, that you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The rich young man asked Jesus, what does it take for me to inherit eternal life? Jesus told him that, and I don't think he really liked the answer, right? Because he had so much stuff. He had so much possession that was just worth a lot to him, and he just couldn't commit. You know, would he regret that later? Jesus telling this rich, rich young man to deny himself And take up his cross. And we look in Matthew 16. Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So what are the things that we have in our lives that that would be difficult for us to let go? Things that we believe we can't live without. Maybe there are some things that are inanimate, like cars. I just recently bought a car last year that was really a dream car for me. The, and I baby it, and I cover it in the garage, and I wash it all the time. I don't drive it out in the rain. You know, things like that, right? Like, oh, my gosh, this, this car is amazing, and I, it's important to me. Maybe some of us have, like, a dream home that you spend so much time, so much money to make it your dream home that this thing is important to you. Or maybe your big screen TV is really important, especially with the NFL season coming along, right? Or maybe there's this job that, that is so important. You know, some people... In some families, the jobs are so important that their kids suffer because they're so focused on the job. What is that thing that, that you're holding on to so tightly that you can't let go of? You know, it could be a person, people in your life. You know, there are some of us who, who we are maybe too possessive of people, and sometimes it's okay. You know, you're a young family, you, you have babies, young children, and, and you want to protect them, right? You cling to them, and, and you want to protect them. Maybe some of you have uh, students that are just graduated, right, that, that you want to hold on to them. You, they're going to be leaving the house, and, and you want to protect them. You know, it works the same way when you're in a romantic relationship, 
Right? Here's someone that you love, someone you want to take care of, someone you want to care for, and, and you just cling to them and you want to protect them. And that's okay. It's okay to be possessive in that way. But I tell you, you know, if you start saying things like, if I can't have you, nobody will, well, maybe there's a problem. <laughs> I have to reconsider your possessiveness there, right? But what is it that you are holding on to that's keeping you from putting Jesus first? What is it that's putting Jesus, that, that Jesus is now taking a back seat to? That you've put him on the shelf. What is that thing? What is that, who is that person that Jesus is taking a back seat to right now in your life? When we're faced with a decision like this, do we continue to hold on to what we possess or are we willing to let them go for Jesus? The truth is following Jesus is free. Salvation through Jesus is free. His grace is free. But to truly be his disciple, his, his follower, his learner, it takes sacrifice from us. Jesus is saying to us here, if I do not have all of you, you will have none of me. So where are you now? If Jesus asked, where in, his, in your priority list does he fall? Is he first? Or is he somewhere a little bit down, maybe in the middle? Or is he way down? I mean, ask yourself that. When we go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to avoid communicating uh, what, we, what we call cheap grace. What this means is that you're preaching forgiveness without requiring, without requiring repentance. You're preaching communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ who is living and incarnate. That's what cheap grace is. Jesus wants us to see that in order to truly follow him, we really need to be all in. We have to understand the commitment Jesus is asking of us. He wants all of us, and it will require sacrifice. And so if we look into verse 33, notice what he says here. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. When Jesus says to renounce all that you have, he's not really talking about possessions here. Instead, he's talking about possessiveness. Right? What are we clinging to that is so, so important to us that is not him? Some Christians in, in some strict cultures uh, know what the cost is to follow Jesus. But when you look at the, the Muslim faith, uh, you know, the Islamic faith, if your family would turn away from you if you walked away from Islam, but, but those people who decided to follow Jesus believed it was worth it. Right? They knew what was in store when they followed Jesus. They knew that there'd be eternal life through Jesus, salvation through Jesus. So think about what they're giving up in order to follow Jesus. They're giving up their family. They're giving up their comfort, give, giving up security, pretty much giving up love from their family. And they do it because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So when you ask at the very beginning when this crowd of people that Jesus is talking to, you wonder, in their, their perspective, who is this Jesus really? Why is he saying these things? 
what authority does he have? And in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. I know it's, <laughs> it is, this is a little different for me because I'm standing here and I'm teaching you some things, uh, sharing the things that, that God has shown me here through this, this past week. And it's quiet. It's quiet in here because the things I'm, I'm sharing is not easy to hear. I was talking to Pastor Drew the other day, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, why do you keep giving me the hard stuff to teach about? You know, why, why can't I just teach on, on love and encouragement and, and things like that all the time? I'd rather go do that. But I think sometimes this is needed for us, right? Let's wake up and, and, and reevaluate where, where we are with our life in Jesus, Right? So we have this opportunity right now, and I've been told before by other pastors, don't ever go off topic and, and leave the notes, but I am right now. There's an opportunity for us right now to, you know, masks are coming off, people will start hanging out with each other, and, and there's an opportunity for us to share Jesus face-to-face with people. But it's going to be difficult for us to share Jesus with people if, he, if we're not all in with him, if we're not truly his disciple. We have to know what grace really means. We have to know what salvation really means before we go and share who Jesus is with people. So we have to prepare ourselves now. If you're not prepared, he better be the first priority on your list right now because I'm gonna guarantee that there's an opportunity that will come for you to share Jesus and you gotta take it. You gotta take that opportunity. So off my, my uh, whatever you call that thing. So, soapbox, yeah. So there's this, this, this quote I read this week from Christopher Page, who's a pastor, totally uh, amazing. He says, when Christians use the word Jesus, we signify life and truth. Jesus is light and love and hope and blessing. Jesus stands for everything that is most true and most real about the human creation. He is all for which we long and the best and most noble aspirations in our hearts. He is us as we were created to be. Pretty profound words. When we consider that Jesus is teaching to the great crowd, you know, he's really teaching to us and revealing who he is, we find that the crisis that Jesus was attempting to stimulate or elicit an emotional response to is the crisis of decision. Do we truly long for all that is best for us that can only be found in Jesus? The way, the truth, the life, the hope, the love? Are we willing to settle for something else, maybe something less? Are we so set to cling onto something other than God in an attempt to satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts? Or will we let go of absolutely anything that might keep us from the fullness of our identity as a child of God? The call to live fully and deeply in the life Jesus wants us to live and to have is costly and it's pretty darn challenging. Being a Christian is not easy, but it's worth it. Jesus wants us to recognize the cost and if it's worth it or if we'd rather settle for less. And according to Jesus, it is absolutely worth it. I don't know about you, but my problem is I go to the grocery store when I'm hungry. And I, I do it a lot when I'm leaving work. I'll swing by the King Supers and grab a bunch of stuff I don't need. And I remember this one time I, I went to King Supers after work and I thought, you know, I'm going to go make myself a really good dinner tonight. 
I'm going to go pick up some salmon. If you're a fish person, that's really good. So I was going to pick up some salmon, some vegetables. I'm going to go and make like a cedar plank smoked salmon in the smoker. thought, yeah, this is going to be so good. Right? So I picked up all the stuff to go get it. And so I got in the car, and I was heading home, and I was just super hungry, like starving. And it felt like my stomach was eating itself pretty much. And so I thought, oh, man, you know, I have to go home. I have to go get the salmon. I have to actually put the planks in water to make sure they don't burn up in the, in the grill, right? And so I had to go do that. So there's going to be some time doing that. Then I have to go season the salmon, season the vegetables. I have to turn on the smoker. It'll take about 25 minutes to go do that. And then put it on the grill, you know, cook that up, and then put the vegetables in the oven, and then cook that up. And it'll just, it'll probably be over an hour before I eat something, right? But God, but God, listen to this. He has blessed us with fast food. All right. Amen. Yeah, he's blessed us with fast food. And so what I did, so I went in over to Chick-fil-A, ordered number one, supersized it with sweet tea. Right? Came home, scarfed it down, and I, was, I thought I was satisfied. But, you know, it doesn't matter what fast food restaurant you go to, Chick-fil-A included, you kind of feel a little blah. Right? You feel like, oh, gosh, you know, that probably wasn't the greatest of ideas. You know, it, I had this other meal that was, I planned for myself that was probably a lot healthier than what I just ate. And yes, I was full, but I don't know if I was truly satisfied. In John 4, Jesus says to the woman in Samaria, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus really is the only one who can truly satisfy. So are we willing to surrender and make the decision to choose him over whatever it may be that we're clinging to that isn't truly satisfying us. And this is the message that Jesus really is, is teaching to the, the great crowd of people, and he's really teaching to us. It's not really about hating our family, but are we going to choose him over them? It's not about loving our family less, but to love Jesus more. Jesus speaking to this great crowd, and in that culture, family was, was very important to them. And so whatever is important in your life, whatever it may be, Jesus needs to be more important than that. I'm going to conclude here with, uh, with a story I want to share with you. I, was, uh, I gave my life to Jesus when I was a sophomore in high school. And it's really funny, I, you know, your prior... I, um, I was kind of struggling with my relationship with, with my mom and, uh, and really just my parents in, in general. And it was just the usual parent-teacher or parent-children uh, relationship, teenager relationship. And I, had to, I prayed that God would change my life because I just felt like this wasn't going anywhere. Right? It's not going to a, it's not end up in a good place if, if something doesn't change. And so a year later, and, and this is the funny part, is, I don't know, God, he does some amazing things, and you have to laugh, right? So what he did was he, he uh, brought these two hot Christian girls and had them move in next door, right? It's like, oh, well, that's a blessing, right? And so I ended up uh, going to church with them, and I ended up giving my life to Jesus. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was an amazing change in my life. You know, I met this, I never dated any of them, <laughs> They're actually like sisters to me now, and they're probably listening. Uh, 
Yes, you're hot. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, when I committed to Jesus, it just seemed like the direction of my life was starting to go uh, in a, a good place, right? It ended up uh, going where I, wanted, I was hoping it would go. I met some, some really good friends, some people who helped me in my walk with Jesus to, to really teach me what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. And I just spent so much time with them because they, they, the things that they taught me, the love that, that Jesus has, I just wanted to eat it up. You know, I never had this before. I didn't really experience this before. And, and so I wanted to spend a lot of time with them. And, and unfortunately, this was really a struggle for my family. I grew up a Roman Catholic. Uh, we're, we're Filipinos, and so uh, the Roman Catholic faith is really ingrained in the Filipino culture. And so it was really a struggle for my parents, right? So when I became a born-again Christian, it meant that I became a Protestant, right? So that's, that's not Roman Catholicism there. It's totally opposite. And so I spent so much time with my new, ch- my new church, my new church family, that I didn't really spend a whole lot of time with my family, my parents and my sister. And it... I felt like maybe that part of my life got worse. And I remember my senior year, my mom told me, I wish you never changed your religion until after you left the house. And that was probably the most heartbreaking thing <laughs> I ever heard. Uh, I thought I was doing something good. And to hear this from your mom uh, was pretty hard. I had questions like, man, did I really make a good decision here? You know, I don't want to disappoint my parents. I don't want them to feel like I love them any less. But that's just how I felt. I felt like maybe I made the wrong choice, right? But when I looked deeply into my, life, my relationship with Jesus and how I felt like there's hope, I felt like I knew who I was in him. I was learning about myself in him, but I had this confidence that, uh, for one, I knew that I will be with him uh, uh, after I die. I know that I will be in heaven with him. And, and, and this journey in my life would be a blessing because I'm hoping and I pray that these things that I'm learning in my life, those are things I can pass along to people I come in contact with. And... The, the relationship with my, my, uh, my family is still pretty rocky through, uh, until I graduated from high school. And, but after years have passed, I think my family became a lot more accepting uh, of where I'm at right now uh, and, and, choose, and me choosing the path that I did. Uh, in fact, my mom told me that, uh, that she's really happy that I have a strong relationship with God. And, and, and this is all she really wanted for me, is to have a strong relationship with Jesus, have a strong relationship with God. I guess for her, though, she didn't really expect it to be not a Catholic, right? And, uh, and so she's been proud of me ever since, and, and you know, she's heard my sermons. So she's probably listening to this one, too. So hope you don't mind me telling this story, Mom, Dad. But, uh, you know, for you, maybe you have a, you may not have a good relationship with your family right now. Jesus loves you and wants your relationships to be great. He does. But in order for your relationships to be great, you really need to put him first. 
Whatever you're experiencing and whatever choice you're making now, you need to put Jesus first. So what choice are you going to make today? Will you choose Jesus over something less? Will you surrender fully to him? The last word I want to share with you is this. Those who trust him wholly will find him wholly true. Let's pray together. Holy Father, I want to thank you so much for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that we have salvation through you. And following you isn't an easy, Lord. It's not, uh, no one ever said being a Christ follower is an easy thing to do and there's some hard, difficult choices to make. But we have to put you first because we know that you want what's best for us. You want us to live a full life in you. And I believe, Lord, that, that the life that you want us to live, we wanna, you want us to share that with people who need it as well. And I just thank you so much that, that this truth that you have, that, that the salvation through you because you are the way, the truth, and life, that we can share that with people who need you right now. But this morning, I just want to just thank you for every one of us in this room. I want to thank everyone who, who, who's listening this morning. I just thank you for, for them and how you're going to move in their hearts and their minds and their spirits right now to make that, make you the priority in their life, to keep you in their focus. We thank you again this morning, Lord, that we have this freedom to honor you. We have the freedom to glorify your name and have this freedom to learn about you through your word, through your gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.